Well, our sermon text, uh, our sermon text for this Pentecost Sunday actually comes for our Old Testament lesson uh, in Genesis chapter 11. We're going to read verses 1 through 9 today. So if you're able, I'd ask you to please rise for the hearing of God's word, and we read in Jesus' holy name. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people and they have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for your word. Lord God, your word is truth, and we pray that you would sanctify us by that truth. Lord, as we now look at Genesis chapter 11, pray that you would show us our sin and need for a Savior and point us to Christ once again. Lord, strengthen our faith, and by your word, ready us for your service, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, by the time we get to Genesis chapter 11, there's already a whole lot that has happened in human history. We have the creation where God created all things not just to be good, but very good. And the one good thing or the one thing that wasn't good, God already rectified in creating a companion, a helper for Adam in Eve. Then we have mankind's fall into sin in the Garden of Eden. Cain has already committed the first murder when he killed his brother Abel. And we've even had the flood already at this point. We've had enough people on the earth and wickedness has grown rampant. And so God has already once brought judgment, only sparing Noah and his family. After that, we hear about Noah's descendants. And then the next major historical event in the book of Genesis comes from our sermon text here in chapter 11. There are a couple more little bits of history and context from Genesis that I should mention before we continue on into our text this morning. And that little bit of context is a command of the Lord, a command that he doesn't give just once, but instead he gives three times. He first gives it to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, and says, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then again, God gives it after the flood to Noah and his descendants. He gives it to them twice in Genesis chapter 9. First, in Genesis 9.1, he says, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And then again in verse 9.7, he says, And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth, and multiply in it. God said it three times within the first nine chapters of Holy Scripture. So this command of the Lord must have been something that he was pretty serious about. It must have been something important. 
Here in chapter 11, we have the events of the Tower of Babel. And as we find the people there, we, we hear that the entire earth speaks just one language, which completely makes sense if you think about it. They're all descended from the family of Noah, and they would have all spoken whatever language Noah spoke. We can't really be sure what it was, but every Old Testament professor I've ever encountered is convinced that it's Hebrew, and every Norwegian I've ever met is convinced that it was Norwegian. We won't really know until we get to heaven, and really it doesn't matter but they had one common language. They could all communicate with each other and do so easily. And since they could communicate easily with each other, apparently they saw no reason to listen to God's commands and fill and subdue the earth. Instead, they just intended to stay right where they are. They migrated from the east, they found the plain of Shinar, they thought it looked nice, and so they settled in. That was their first problem. They decided to ignore the command of the Lord to fill and subdue the earth. Instead, they just wanted to stay put. Now, the second problem that the people of Babel had was was more significant. You see, they decided that they were going to build a great city and a great tower that would reach the heavens. And it wasn't the construction of these things that was the problem. God nowhere in Scripture has forbidden people from building cities or constructing towers. The problem instead was the reason behind their building of this great city and this great tower. You see, they were looking to make a name for themselves. They were, they were acting in their own sinful and selfish pride. In their pride, they really thought they were something special and they wanted everyone to know just how special they were. In their pride, they didn't just want others to recognize that they were great, they also thought that they could set themselves above God and above his commands. So the people of Babel, they weren't just passively ignoring the command of God. Instead, in their pride, they were actively and willfully rejecting the Lord and his command to fill and subdue the earth. They thought they knew better than God did. You see, pride is is one of those sins that we never really seem to get past in our own lives. Now, I, I don't think I've seen any of you trying to construct a tower that reaches to the heavens so that others will look at you and think that you're great, or building yourself some kind of tower in defiance to the word of God and his commands. But that doesn't mean that we don't struggle with pride. The pride of some people is is clear for all to see, with them always pointing to their accomplishments or their possessions or their impeccable qualities. It can be easy for us to pick out, that are more, pick out those that are more proud than others, those that really like to show off. They're all a little bit like the Pharisee in that parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector that Jesus tells. Remember that Pharisee said basically, Lord God, thank you that I'm not like the sinners out there and that sinner here among us. I'm so happy that you created me to be so much better than them. I fast and I tithe. God, thank you that I am so much better than everyone else. To be honest, I don't know that I've seen a whole lot of that style of pride in you guys either. I don't see many of you comparing your holy life to the lives of wicked sinners around you and then talking about how good you are. Even so... 
maybe we still are a bit like that Pharisee. I know when I read that uh, parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, I often think to myself, God, thank you that I'm not spiritually superior like that Pharisee. God, thank you that you didn't create me to be a person who looks down on others who struggle with their sin. God, thank you that I am not a sinner like that Pharisee. Thank you for me being so much better. You see, our pride is often coded in a false humility. Pride is one of those sins that we never really seem to shake. It has deep roots in our hearts. And in fact, it's a major motivating factor in the other sins in our lives that are much easier to see. In our own pride, we tend to think that we have plans better than God does. We like to think that we can do it better than he can. You see, every time that we sin, every time we reject God's commands for our lives, we're we're doing so in our own pride, thinking that our feelings, our comfort, and our happiness are more important than what God has commanded for us. We put ourselves in the place that belongs to God alone. And in our sinful pride, we set ourselves up in small ways and in large as the gods of our own lives. We may not be building a tower in defiance to the command of God, but that doesn't mean we don't struggle with the same sinful pride issues that the people of Babel dealt with. What comes next here in Genesis chapter 11 is one of my favorite parts of scripture because it's wonderfully ironic and I giggle just about every time I read it. You see, the people, they're building a massive city. They're building a tower big enough to reach the heavens. This is presumably the largest construction project that has happened up to this point in human history. And what does God do? We can't quite tell what it is from heaven. So he has to come down and get really close to take a look at it. It was just too tiny and insignificant for God to make out what it was, so he has to come all the way down to earth to check it out. When God does look at the city and the tower that the children of man have built, he says something that sounds very strange to our ears. He said, behold, they are one people and they have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. People have taken what God says here in Genesis 11 in various ways um, throughout history. Some have even used this passage to talk about the untapped and unlimited potential of mankind if we could just set our minds on the same thing. But we have to remember, God isn't talking about mankind doing good or even truly powerful things here in this passage. He came down to the earth to see the sin and the wickedness of the people once again. And sin and wickedness has been a theme so far in Genesis. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Cain killed Abel. You have all of the wickedness on the earth before the flood. And now again, we see the sinfulness of people in Babel. By this point in Genesis, it's tough to believe that God still wants anything to do with his creation. But he does. And he keeps working to redeem mankind in spite of our sin and idolatry and wickedness. You see, really what God is saying here in this passage is that 
Nothing they propose will be impossible for them. It's not the potential for mankind is unlimited, but instead their potential for sinful rebellion and wickedness is limitless. What God says here is words of of judgment and condemnation. Any wickedness that mankind can put their minds to as a group, they can accomplish it. They can get it done. And so in light of all of this, God brings judgment upon mankind. And the judgment comes in the form of confusing the language of the people gathered there in Babel so that they can no longer easily understand each other and work together. This is certainly a punishment for sin. And those people whose language had been confused would have certainly seen it and felt it as punishment and judgment. But there's also something gracious about what God does here. By confusing their language, God forces the people to do the right thing, to do what he had commanded them to do, to make them fill the earth and subdue it. And also, God had seen that nothing good was coming from the people sharing one language. Instead, because they were one people with one language, they could have accomplished any wicked and sinful thing they set their minds to. So even though this truly is judgment and punishment for sin, It is also gracious. Now, anyone who has ever tried to pick up a second language knows the confusing of languages at Babel was truly a judgment for sin. After Babel, communication with a person from another part of the world is difficult. It takes hard work and it takes study. And even when you've begun to cross that language barrier, it's still very easy to miscommunicate with each other. You see, we share that same curse and that same judgment because we too are sinners and we too struggle with the same sin of pride that those at Babel did. On this Sunday, we we remember the events of Pentecost as Ben read about from Acts chapter 2. After the ascension, while the disciples were gathered together in Jerusalem as God has told them to do, God the Father sent the third person of the Trinity, he sent the Holy Spirit to descend upon those disciples in power. There was the sound of the rushing wind, tongues of fire rested on them, and the Holy Spirit allowed them to speak in different tongues. The disciples having the ability to speak in different tongues was especially important for that day. Because remember, Pentecost, or as the Jews called it, the Feast of Weeks, It was one of the three big Jewish festivals where every faithful Hebrew male would have gone back to Jerusalem to celebrate and remember what God had done for them and what God had promised. And so you have faithful Jews coming from all over the place, gathered together in Jerusalem at this time. Now, they likely could have communicated with each other using the common trade language of Koine Greek, but they all had different heart languages. They had different languages that they'd grown up speaking first. And the Holy Spirit allowed the disciples to speak those languages, to speak in a way that would be the most effective in sharing truth and communicating the gospel to those who were gathered together. For just a short period of time, God reversed the curse of Babel, and he did it for a very specific purpose. So that those gathered to celebrate Pentecost might hear the fulfillment of everything God had promised to do, starting in the Garden of Eden and throughout the entire Old Testament scriptures. The disciples took this opportunity 
and where they were able to speak in the native languages of the people. And they used it to point out the sin and guilt of those that had gathered. Remember, Peter in his sermon said it was they who were responsible for the crucifixion of the Messiah that God had sent. The Holy Spirit worked through the words of the disciples and he was effective. And because of the preaching of Peter, that gathered crowd was cut to the heart and asked, what shall we do? And at that, Peter was able to give them the message of the gospel, repent and be baptized so your sins might be forgiven and you might also receive the Holy Spirit. See, God temporarily reversed that curse of Babel on that first Pentecost so that many might hear the gospel, so that many might come to repentance and faith and be saved. That call to hear the gospel and to trust in Jesus Christ with everything he accomplished through his death and resurrection, it also promises a reverse of sin's curse. And not something so small and temporary is to speak in a different language for a little while, but it promises the reversal of all of the curses that came with sin. You see, on the day when Christ returns to judge the living and the dead, for those of us who are in Christ, that will be the day when sin and its effects are done away with forever. That's going to be the day when all things are made new and we will begin our time in eternity in the new heavens and the new earth with our God and King. So now as we get ready to once again go to the Lord's table, come confessing your sin. Come confessing even those times that you have struggled with pride and idolatry, just as the people of Babel did. But as you come, also trust in what God offers there, the body and blood of our crucified and risen Lord Jesus Christ, given and shed for your sins. Father God, we thank you for this day of Pentecost, where we remember you sending the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for the events recorded in the Tower of Babel. Or show us our sin, those times when we have been prideful in the same way as the people in Babel were. Lord, allow us to freely confess before you and also show us Christ for us. Strengthen our faith, we pray. Amen.